Welcome to the Generations United podcast, where we share insights from experts from the intergenerational field about how these practices improve the lives of children, youth, and older adults, and the communities where they live. I'm your host, Donna Butts, Executive Director of Generations United. And I'm really excited today uh, to have as our guest, Rachel Fletcher. Rachel is the Executive Director of Young Invincibles, which is an organization that I've been a huge fan of for quite some time. We've actually had the pleasure of working together on projects in the past, and I just think it's the work of the organization is important and done so very well. So I'm delighted and pleased that Rachel agreed to spend a little bit of time talking with me today. So welcome, Rachel. Wow. Thank you so much, Donna. It's really a pleasure to be here. And I too have been a longtime fan of Young Invincibles. And so when the opportunity emerged to lead the organization as the executive director, I pounced at it. So that was about three years ago. And I continue to be inspired by the work that the organization does really every day. So thanks again for having me. That's fabulous. It's so wonderful to have somebody who's passionate about the work they do. And I know we both know a little bit about Young Invincibles, but our listeners may not. So I wondered if you could just share a little bit about Young Invincibles. I know that you started out of a school cafeteria in 2009, and now you're this large national organization with a reach around the country. But I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the organization and about your roots. Absolutely. So yeah, it it was 2009. It was actually in the midst of the healthcare reform debate around the Affordable Care Act. That was the sort of setting for the origin and the roots of the organization. And as you may recall, there was a lot of conversation about whether the ACA was going to work or not. And there was a particular theme around the conversation driven by politicians and industry types basically communicating that this thing was never going to work because young people were never going to get covered. They didn't care about healthcare. They were just as young invincibles. And our founding members who happened to be sitting in a cafeteria at the time, they were grad students, were extremely frustrated by what was happening. It was a lot of people talking about young people, nobody talking with young people or listening to young people. And so that's how the organization was born. And that's really fueled our spirit ever since. And it's what's in our DNA, the idea that decisions, especially political and policy decisions about young people need to include young people. And that's what Young Invincibles does. Our whole mission is to elevate the voices of young people in political and policy conversations. And as part of that, to really expand economic opportunity for young adults 18 to 34. We were exclusively focused on healthcare at the very beginning. One of the first things we did was to work to make sure young adults knew why it was important to get health insurance and how to get health insurance. So we're very, very involved in outreach and enrollment efforts since the first open enrollment period in 2013. And we are still very, very involved in outreach and enrollment efforts. And we were particularly pleased to see that one of the latest executive actions taken by President Biden was to reopen the healthcare marketplaces, considering the crisis that America is facing in light of COVID, young People and Americans more broadly need access to health insurance, especially considering the number of people who've lost jobs and whatnot. So we are very, very pleased to see that the marketplaces will be reopening on February 15th. And we will be out there online, shouting from the rooftops, if you will, to make sure that eligible uninsured know this is a great moment for them to get covered. 
So our roots are in healthcare, but they didn't just stay there. We've really expanded our work over the last number of years to include other issues that we see as the intersection of economic opportunity for young adults. Mm -hmm. That includes higher education, that includes workforce and jobs, that includes civic engagement, all issues that are critically important to ensuring a young adult can, you know, pursue the opportunities that he, she, or they want for themselves and have the opportunity to achieve success, however they define that. And just the last thing I would say, it's still so much for us at the end of the day, it's not just about changing policies for young people, but it is actually policy change by young people. And that's one of the things I think that makes Young Invincible so special. I think that's terrific because I agree with you. It's like even when you first started talking, it's that whole mantra about nothing about us without us. We need to be a part. Our voices are important. And, you know, sometimes in the intergenerational field, we'll give an example about somebody planning a program for another generation. And then they invite that other generation to join them and nobody comes. It's sort of like, if you build it, they will not come. If they build it with you, they will. And I think that is such a wonderful origin story that your founder said, hey, you know, we're here. Don't talk around us. We're here. And then what I really love too about what you said is so oftentimes people think that they get something passed. They get a piece of legislation, they get something passed and it's done. Let's celebrate. It's going to happen. Wahoo. But it's where the rubber hits the road. It's where the implementation occurs. It's where the authorization comes. It's where everything comes that makes such a difference. And I'm sure you've had that experience too, where we've all celebrated a victory, but then everybody goes home. And if you don't stay there, it's not going to stick. So kudos to you folks for sticking with it and making sure it happens. Thanks. Yeah, we're really proud of that work. You should. And then I love how you're moving on too. I was really so impressed when I think about this last election that we just went through and the coalition and the turnout that really stood up to make a difference in this country. And I know that young voters in particular were a voice that people were concerned. Would they show up? Would they vote? And in fact, they did. And you folks made a statement after the election that pointed out, I believe, how important it was and that People of all generations can support and work together on particular issues. But you want to talk a little bit more about that statement, what you folks were thinking about when you made it? I'd be happy to. You know, a lot of the issues that are important to young adults aren't just important to young adults. I don't think that when it comes to protections for pre-existing conditions, I don't think that that's something that's only important to young adults. And I think a lot of times people don't even think about young adults as a cohort that cares about that. I can tell you that there are folks at YI, staff, young staff members who have pre-existing conditions. There are young people that are part of our network that have pre-existing conditions. So this is an issue that's important, not just to older Americans, but to younger Americans too. So I think that's a great example of how our work spans the generations. Let's talk about debt cancellation for a moment. I think, again, a lot of people think about that as an issue for current or recent students, but broad student debt cancellation is not an issue that is exclusive to young people. I think AARP put out a report last year that talked about how debt cancellation is an intergenerational problem, that parents and grandparents take on student loan debt to help their family members be able to pursue a higher education. I think it's something like 25% of private student loan co-signers that were age 50 or older had to make a loan payment because the student bar wasn't able to. 
So a lot of the issues that get kind of branded as young adult issues are intergenerational. And then a lot of the issues that get branded as older American issues like pre-existing conditions are really intergenerational as well. And we see a huge opportunity to bring those generations together to work to hold policymakers accountable to make the kinds of changes that we all need to see across the country. I really agree with you. I think one of the problems is that we too often look at things in an age segregated or siloed way. And I think the example you gave about student debt is perfect because so oftentimes it may be a grandparent who's helping out a grandchild and then all of a sudden they find themselves with no assets or a debt that needs to be canceled. But the other thing is that we try at Generations United to look with an intergenerational solutions lens. And so if we look at an issue like student debt And then we know that a big issue with older adults is being able to age in place and age in their own homes. One of the solutions that we've suggested is intergenerational home sharing so that a young person would either get debt reduction for their student loan for living with an older adult. That older adult would be able to maintain their home because they had a little bit of companionship or maybe somebody to walk the dog when they needed it. But when we can look at issues and think about what's the win-win-win, we're all ahead of it. And I think One other example I would give has to do in the area of abuse. And when you think about it, child abuse was acted on years and years ago. And it's only recently that people started talking about elder abuse and passing legislation around elder abuse. Whereas had we thought about abuse from a lifespan perspective and what the generations have in common, we might have been able to deal with it a little bit earlier. So when I think about some of the issues and some of the issues that you're talking about and this opportunity now with the new administration, do you see other issues or other opportunities where you think the power of combining young and older voices could make a difference? I think there are probably myriad. Let me name a few examples. Federal minimum wage, living wage. I think that that is an issue young people care about deeply, but it is another issue with broad support across the generations. I think Pew just released something that showed that like 67% of Americans support raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. So you could have a powerful coalition of young parents, grandparents, student parents, a lot of them who are working themselves, trying to hold down a job, go to school themselves, and raise their children to speak about why we need to have a federal minimum wage. You talk about child abuse and then elder abuse, but I also think, especially in this time of caregiving and COVID, child care and elder care. And how do we think about the continuum of care that we need to provide so that families are able to thrive, not just survive. And I do think that the particular experience that so many of us are going through right now is just a huge illustration of why we need sort of a continuum of care that is affordable and accessible and quality because many of us are playing the role of caregiver in a way that we never had to before. I'm just trying to think about a third example there. But those two, I think, tell the story of how some of these issues are impacting families, including young children, in a way that we just never imagined before. So I really agree with you, Rachel. I think that, you know, what you've talked about, that caregiving is something that spans all generations, making a living wage, being able to have a home that you can afford, things like that are all really critical. And one of the things that happened in this pandemic, of course, is the increase in multi-generational households where family members are coming back together because they find that by pooling their resources, they are stronger together. One of my hopes would be for people in the country to realize that having that ability is a strength. The fact that we have 
family that can come together and support each other is critical at times when we need each other and then to support the transition afterwards. But sometimes I think about, especially with the new administration, there's such a laundry list of everything that needs to be done. We struggle with what are the priorities that we're going to put the resources that we have into? Where do we uniquely have a voice or where do we have a leadership role? Where can we make a difference? So I'm just wondering at Young Invincibles, and as you've been thinking about this, we've talked about several issues, but if you were to say, like, what do you think your top two or three things that you're definitely going to be pushing on and working towards, and especially if they're things that we might all be able to work on together, but where do you see yourselves? Yeah, you know, we have over the last three months been having a number of conversations with the young people in our networks and then sort of surveying beyond that to kind of pressure test what we're learning from the young people that have a relationship with Young Invincibles to develop a policy platform that will very much inform our policy agenda for 2021. The things that are really elevating to the top, we talked about broad student debt cancellation. In a world where virtual learning has become more and more important, we need to make sure there is a commitment to making robust broadband connectivity available to underserved communities, to rural communities, to urban communities alike, really expanding health coverage to as many people as possible by strengthening Medicaid. And we want to push the administration to use the ACA as a vehicle to create a new public government-administered coverage program to close uninsured gaps. So that's going to be something that we're going to be banging the drum over and over about prioritizing mental health care access and enforcing parity. The numbers that we're seeing come out from these polls about the number of young people, and it's not just young people, but the impact that COVID has had on the mental health of Americans is, is dramatic and it's scary and we need to prioritize this. And so we'll be pushing that as a priority in our advocacy work with the administration. And the last thing I would say is how can we use this opportunity to motivate and build demand for a robust infrastructure focused federally backed jobs program? Mm -hmm. We, you know, this whole idea of building back better resonates so much with us. And we think that that will be something that's going to be critical to getting people back into jobs and to get the economy where we need it to be again. And we're going to push the administration to do all of that through an equity lens. And we're so glad to see how much they're prioritizing equity across the board. And that's something that's really important to us. And we will be paying attention to as they continue to roll out their policy plans. You know, Rachel, I wonder if you have any thoughts about this. You work with Young Invincibles, with younger people. We promote an intergenerational agenda. So we both have constituencies that are in tune with what we're working towards. But we know that there's so much polarization in this country and that there are a lot of people who are not necessarily on board with the agendas that we're talking about. And so I know we've been doing a lot of thinking about how do we bridge divides? How do we bridge gaps? How do we engage people who feel like they're sort of marginalized and not a part of the conversation? And I don't know if you folks have had thoughts about what role, if any, you play with young people who may not naturally come into your network. I think that one of the ways that we have been able to connect with young people and other audiences who may not necessarily initially align themselves with our policy work is by presenting human stories. 
So, Mm -hmm. so much of what we do is storytelling. And I think when you can get out of the talking point dynamic, and for us, it's a lot of not just me telling the story of the young people on our network, but the young people on our network telling their own stories. And the humanity in that, I think, is extremely compelling. And there is a way to connect to people emotionally that actually sometimes brings the temperature down because people can relate to a story. And then we try to marry those stories with data so that we say, here's the story of Donna. And Donna tells her story about how you know Donna really wanted to pursue a higher education, but didn't know how to navigate the system to get financial support or didn't even know the FAFSA existed or whatever it was. And then, you know, sort of point to, there are millions of young people like Donna and you one of them. And so someone might not initially say, yes, I support the idea of simplifying the financial aid process because that may sound partisan in some way. But when you break it down and think about that individual and you think about how hard it is to navigate that process and you can connect to that story, then you're able to bring people into the conversation, I think, in a way that connects with not just their minds, but their hearts. That's really a great example in terms of, so oftentimes when we think about, even if it's young and old, thinking, what are these young people about now? Or what are these old people about? And once you get to see the eyes and the face and the story, then it's not about them. It's about somebody I know. It's about Rachel or it's about whomever. So do you think that that is an effective way of conveying messages to policymakers? Indeed. I I really, really do. I would say both my work at Young Invincibles and then my work at prior organizations, I think stories, personal stories, have oftentimes been the thing that will move a politician to support something that they previously didn't support. I personally believe storytelling is one of the sharpest advocacy tools that exists. Again, you got to show the numbers behind the individual story. But if you can have an elected official hear from, in this case, a young person about how this policy has impacted or will impact them and their family, and then show the depth of impact it can have, in this case, in a policymaker's district, I think you have a very, very solid case for support. And I have seen officials respond extremely positively to an approach like that. So how about if you share a story with our listeners? I think you have a lot of experience in know what's resonated with people. I'd love to hear about one that either resonates with you or you're very fond of or you've seen be very effective. Just yesterday, one of our young adults participated in a conversation that was supported by a foundation And they wanted her there to share her story of her journey through the higher education system. And not 30 minutes later, the Lieutenant Governor of Maryland was on and repeated back one of the things that Perla had mentioned in her sharing of her personal story. And that was just like a very tight example of like how it connects with elected officials that right, right. In, that, in that, in what was one of these Zoom things or whatever, that what she said connected with that 
elected official who said, you know, I'm going to take that with me and carry it when I have an opportunity to weigh in on higher education policies in Maryland. And so that's just, again, a teeny tiny example. But, you know, the young adults in their network will often give testimony at state houses. And we've had elected officials come up afterwards and say how much that testimonial impacted them and how they're thinking about policy making. The other thing I would say is we have young adults who realize the impact that the stories have made on policymakers and have become policymakers themselves. And they say that, you know, the work that they did to learn about advocacy and policy. And then when they realize that their voice matters, they then decide this is what I want to do. And I want to bring more young people into the pipeline. So just a couple of little examples that I think really give you a flavor of the impact that this can have. I love it, especially because when you talk about people realizing the power of their own voice and continuing to use that and how they can use that, because sometimes I think people feel like everything's out of their control and that nobody's going to listen to them. And to realize that it does, people will listen to them and they will listen to those stories, but also that part of it is you're are a voter, you know, you aren't powerless, you know, you have a role you can play, you can influence, and you do that by sharing what you're passionate about, what you believe in and what's true to you. So I think that's great. It's wonderful to hear about. So as we're kind of winding down, I just wonder if there's something that I haven't asked you about or something that you really want to be able to share that we haven't touched on. Well, I would just pick up on what you just talked about, which is there are multiple ways of engaging civically. We talk a lot about how important it is to vote, and we do a lot of work reinforcing that message. And then we have this expression, it's like vote and. So voting is an incredible way of expressing your opinion, your voice, and making clear what is important to you. And you are saying, I am voting for a particular candidate, and then that person is my elected official. But guess what? That person then works for you. And as a voting person, your job isn't over because then you have a job to hold your elected officials accountable. And so we think about it sort of as a virtuous cycle of civic engagement, both voting and holding your elected officials accountable. And so we really try to introduce young people to this concept of a virtuous cycle of civic engagement and what you can do during an election and then what you got to do after an election. Because these guys and women and non-binary elected officials, all of them, they work for us and it's our job to hold them accountable and to make sure that we continue to advocate for policies that we know are really important to young people, to young people of color, to communities of color. And like we talked about earlier, generations of our families across the country. That's great. Rachel, I really want to thank you for bringing so many things to the attention of people that are going to be listening to this podcast in terms of how we have so much in common. And it's really important that we join our voices and that we look towards that commonality and where we have strength. I think there's so much more that connects us than divides us and that you folks do incredible work and incredible engagement work and empowering young people. So I'm just grateful for you and for the team that you work with and the work of Young Invincibles. So thank you very much for sharing some time with us today. It was truly my pleasure. Thank you so much, Donna, for the opportunity. And let's do it again.
And I want to thank everyone who is listening to this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please be sure to tune in to our website and our events at Generations United, as well as Young Invincibles, to stay connected and stay in touch with what we're doing. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, our goal is to really reach beyond the usual suspects, our usual audience. So please, please leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you stream your podcast. Uh, share it with other people, encourage them to get involved in these kind of intergenerational dialogues, talking with each other across generations. But most important, as an old and dear colleague of ours, Mary Catherine Bateson said, if you don't have somebody younger in your life, find them. If you don't have somebody older in your life, find them. We are stronger together and we're better together. So thanks again, Rachel, and thanks everyone. <music>